0: Welcome to Disruptors. I'm Rob Moore and this episode is officially owned by Nick James. Now Nick James bought one of my very limited NFTs and part of the investment purchase of the NFTs was that Nick would own his own episode. Nick James has been a friend of mine for 12 years plus Massive shout out to him. He runs some of the best business events in the UK called Expert Empires. Now, this episode is me interviewing Nick, probably 10 years overdue, on scaling your business, systemizing your business, handling pandemics and lockdowns in your business. And as Nick has hired many of the world's best business keynote speakers including me, he dishes the dirt on what he really thinks of these famous people like Grant Cardone and Gary V and David Goggins and Rob Moore. You'll hear me tell a story in the interview on how Nick and his company really taught me something. They taught me something I already knew for 15 years but wasn't doing it. Now linked to this story, which you'll hear in the episode, Nick is actually offering you his vision and meeting and strategic growth templates. Because here's the thing, we all learn stuff but actually getting physical templates to do vision meetings and build your five and 10 year strategy. This is something that very few entrepreneurs do. So if you go right now to expertempires.com forward slash planning, that's expertempires.com forward slash planning. Nick's grown a seven figure business. He focuses on helping other entrepreneurs build a seven figure business. And I'm telling you, these resources will be very valuable to you. So before we dive into this episode, make sure you go along to expertempires.com forward slash planning. Is the personal development industry, especially this, always be positive? Is this a bit of a scam? <laughs> um,
1: I suppose if you're asking, do I think there are some people in the personal development industry that are scammers? I'd probably have to say yes. Is the personal development industry a scam? Like that's a big generalisation, and of course there are certain people in the industry, as in any industry, that are what you might call scammers. Um, however, I would say from my personal experience, and you know Rob, I've been around personal development since I was twelve years of age, um, and now
0: you're fifteen by the look. Of yeah, it. yeah.
1: Unfortunately, not, um, mate. The grey hairs have come through <laughs> rapid in the last few years. It must have been COVID. Um, so I think. I've seen over the last, what, 20 odd years, like some unbelievable transformations in my own life, in people's lives that I've been around. Um, and equally, I've seen people invest lots of money in their personal development and then end up disappointed. So I think the, the downfall probably um, of personal development, I've definitely seen this, is this idea of you go to one seminar or read one book or listen to one podcast or watch one video and all of a sudden you think, bang, everything's going to change. Now, the contradiction in terms is that absolutely I believe that everything can change in a second. One thing can change your life forever. Equally, I think if you, if you believe that investing in one seminar workshop, um, reading one book is going to change your life forever, then you probably... Um, a bit naive because the bit that's frustrating is the amount of people that go to one seminar and then don't follow through on it. And that, I think, is the flawed... Sometimes personal development is sold as a quick fix, and it never is. I mean, like, I was listening to one of your podcasts, Rob, earlier today, and you were sharing how you've spent seven figures on personal development over the years. You know, obviously, it's spread over a long time, but for you, for your team... And still now, today, you're investing in personal development. Um, I certainly am as well. And, well, you'd be hard-pressed to find two people that have spent more time or more money on their personal development, yet we're still investing time and money on those things. So I think that just shows it can't ever be uh one and done. I, th- I think that's the, the misconception or the scam is when things are sold as a one and done, um, and it
0: never is. Okay, so... If someone gets into personal development and their life doesn't improve, who's to blame? The teacher trainer of personal development or the consumer who didn't implement said personal development? Well, there's a number of different answers to that.
1: If the teaching, the training is high quality and the person then does not implement it, then you'd have to say the person, the client, is responsible. I don't really like using the word blame, but is responsible. Mm. If the training or teaching was fundamentally flawed then of course the teacher the trainer has to take their responsibility as well and for me it like it's not healthy for sole responsibility to be put in one or another category i think it does have to it does have to sit in both but look i mean personal development 101 is to take responsibility for everything you create be do have in your life and i think When you, and it's not easy, when you can take that philosophy on board, live it every day, everything else happens a lot more easily. But it's hard because it's so much easier to just blame other people for what you didn't get or what didn't go your
0: way. So there's a fraternity of personal development, probably more prevalent in the 80s than now, but still around, which is like always be positive. Yeah. And... As you know, I've spent a lot of money on personal development. And to me, personal development is simply um, giving myself tools to grow and be better. And I'm ultimately responsible for that, in my view, because I've been to some terrible courses and I've taken one thing. I made a lot of money out of it. Yeah. And I've been on some brilliant courses and not done anything with it. So, you know, I would put myself in both camps of being a student and a trainer. But I have this issue with always be positive. You've got to be positive. Because I fundamentally believe that everything in life has an upside and a downside. And I believe if you naively position yourselves to always be positive, you're just setting yourself up for massive failure and pain. And some personal development is just around hyping you up with energy to always be positive. But if your kid gets run over in front of you, always be positive. What do you think about that?
1: Well, I think if your kid gets run over uh, over in front of you, always be positive is like the worst advice you could ever receive. Think about it in business. Like, for me, um, and we're going to talk, I'm sure, uh, later in this, in this episode about how to start, grow, scale, how to plan strategically for growth. Like, I am, on one hand, the biggest optimist ever because I always have to look at, and I always like to look at, like, what's the potential upside of any opportunity? But I'm also, in equal measure, probably the biggest pessimist. Like, I'll look, by the way, like I'll look in terms of our... Business, I'll look at the worst case scenarios on probably a weekly basis. So I'm certainly not always positive. And I think sometimes looking at the worst case scenarios, looking at the potential negatives is actually helpful. Um, And again, in a business context, it allows you to see threats or dangers or things that could go wrong and derail your progress down the line. It also allows you to look at the weaknesses that you might have personally or as a company, as a business. There might be certain departments that are weak in certain areas. If you don't do that, how are you ever going to improve? So always be positive. Um, Like you say, I think it's probably quite old school personal development, um, but I think it's fundamentally flawed. That said, if you look at 99.9% of the population are doing the opposite, which is always be negative, and you go, if all that if all that advice did was nudge people a little bit more towards something that resembles a middle ground, then that would be a good thing. I don't think always be positive is a good advice, Mm. but I think maybe start to look at what could go well for you or maybe start to look at what opportunities are available to you um, in your business, in your financial position, in your health, in your relationships, would probably serve the majority of the population quite well. Mm.
0: So would it be better to say and do you believe in this statement, there's upside in every downside? I've heard you say this before. Um, and I like
1: to think there is upside in every downside. And in some, you know, a small percentage of situations, you have to really challenge that and go, is there upside? Well, I mean, You just used the example, you, you know, God forbid your, your, your child or a close family member passes away or gets knocked over or whatever you go
0: it's gonna be really
1: hard to find the upside in that downside
0: okay so I interviewed Mark Omrod who's a friend of mine yeah he got all of his limbs blown off yeah and he said that in many ways that was the greatest gift he ever got given in his life because of all the opportunities it's opened up that it hadn't he hadn't had before yeah and it's harder coming from two privileged 40 year old white males to yeah. say this 39? I've got... I average 43 plus mate, 39. Mate, I've got a few months before I get into Not the by the time this goes yeah, out. Maybe not, maybe not. So, you know, I, I understand that people are going to look at us and just play that yeah. privileged white male card, which, to be honest, is... Anyway, people are going to play that card. But I interviewed someone who had all of his arms and legs blown off. Yeah. and he said in many ways that opened up opportunities and that was a great thing that happened to him he said that to my face so.
1: well, yeah and I think like anyone that has the mental and emotional resilience to think that way has my utmost respect but he didn't at
0: first it that's, took him time
1: that's the point though like you go there's upside to every downside there, there probably is so there potentially over time, is yeah, yeah. I, I believe that yeah. over time it's like in
0: the moment it's very hard if not impossible to see. But you've just said about taking personal responsibility. Yeah, yeah. And isn't trying to find the upside in the downside so that you can balance and regulate your emotions so that you can live your best life. Isn't that part of personal responsibility? And
1: for me, that's the ultimate like mastery as far as your personal development journey goes is responsibility for how you think, feel and act. Like if you can master that you're done. And, you know, I'd like to think I've done fairly well at that over the years, and you, you have too, I'm sure. Um, and even then, you can't be perfect and get it right every single time.
0: Because there's new level, new
2: devil. Always, always.
1: <laughs> and But yeah, I think the, the personal responsibility for the feeling, for the emotion, that's the key. Um, and I think, can I say honestly that I don't ever have an, a negative emotion in my body? Of course not. The question is, how long does it last? And so if you can experience the emotion or the feeling for a shorter period of time and then ask yourself, what's the potential upside to this downside, then you're more likely to create the life, the results, the experiences that you want.
0: Because on the flip side of that, the problem I have with always be positive is it's disowning negative emotions. Yes. And um, you know, I have the belief that all emotions have a function, otherwise we wouldn't have them. Like if you sit in a car, every button or dial or ometer has a function in that car and it gives you information. And some are more useful than others. True, exactly. But they all have a function, otherwise they wouldn't be in the car. So therefore, every emotion has a function, otherwise we wouldn't have it as a human being. Um, So therefore, those trying to hide, disown or um, not fully embracing and exploring negative emotions because they're trying to always be positive, are actually disowning half of who they are. Yeah. And of course, these negative emotions, surely they're equally as beneficial to us as positive emotions, aren't they? Well, you could go a step
1: further and say, if you never felt the negative emotion, how would you know that a positive emotion is positive?
0: Yeah, how do you know black is black without white? Correct. Yeah. So
1: I think that's context. That, so, so even if it feels crap, when you're angry, frustrated, depressed, anxious, whatever that emotion is, it serves a purpose as a contrast to the feeling, the experience that you want to have. I suppose the game is how do you experience less of this over time or should, and more of that? Yeah,
0: or should you not be experiencing less of this? Should you be learning how to experience it better? Because here's another argument. If you try and rush yourself out of negative emotions, maybe you aren't fully dealing with what caused those negative emotions. Yeah. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think you, as painful as it can be, sitting and experiencing it so you can work through it, honoring it. um, You know, I've been very, very fortunate um, throughout my life where um, I haven't had many experiences of grief. Like, you know, I haven't had me- loss of many family members, you know, some, but, you know, not many, considering I'm nearly 40 years of age now, Rob, catching you up. I'm um, going to
0: purposefully put this out the day after your 40th birthday. There you go, maybe a celebration, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, December the 6th, I'm expecting a lovely gift, by the way.
0: From all, all right, the mate. Thanks, mate. Okay.
1: Um, so I think, where was I now? I completely forgot where I was. So the, so I think the, the purpose... You of haven't experienced the yeah, I haven't too experienced much that. trauma. No, I haven't, well... Trauma, no. Well, trauma, mm, some. But like grief, for example, and and I do believe that. Let's say most of us, all of us, at some point in our life, are going to experience grief, loss of a loss of a loved one, and I believe that it's natural to the grieving process has to take place. I believe that's natural. That's my opinion. That's my belief. I can't. Yeah. You know, there might be other people that might disagree with that, but I believe that that negative emotion, you have to experience it. The question is, how long do you want to experience it for? Because some people grieve for decades and that's probably not serving them or anybody else. Um, If you don't have the grief process take its course, you kind of push it down, then it's going to, over time, there'll be triggers and things that are going to show up that's not going to be helpful. So I think there's the negative emotion, let's talk about grief, serves a purpose over a period of time. What you don't want to do is experience it forever.
0: Bathe in it. Bathe become in a victim it. to it. Correct. But you also a don't want to do is on, brush it. it
1: under the carpet yeah. and end up going, well, yeah, brush it under the carpet and then and then eventually, of course, the amount of crap under the carpet builds up and up and up and that's not going to be good for anyone.
0: Which is probably a good move into talking about entrepreneurship then. Yeah. Because <laughs> because loads of crap with well, entrepreneurship, do, right? Yeah, and do we use work and hustle and entrepreneurship as a way to avoid and distract ourselves from pain. So, for example, many entrepreneurs, not all, not you, not all, but it can throw your family life and your partnership life into freaking chaos. And, or, and look, Or you can work 16 has, hours a day. And, and it, it has, yeah. in
1: my experience. I've had times so you've had in my life, it, yeah. yeah, of course. I certainly have, I don't mind sharing that. Like, there's been times where, because of the obsession with the game and fulfilling the purpose and fulfilling the vision that um, at times, I've probably took my half the ball. Like what? Well, so um, we're probably going to get into this, but we'll jump in there now. So round 2014, 2015, um, had an experience, which I'm sure we can talk more in depth about if you want to, where um, essentially amalgamated my then business with another business, um, did quite a lucrative deal.
0: Okay, let's come back to that then. Yeah. Because that needs a bit... Of time on its own. So let's come back to that. Yeah. Do we sometimes as entrepreneurs avoid and hide from our pains and traumas and negative emotions by getting addicted to business and entrepreneurship?
1: Yeah, it's one way, isn't it? It's a it's a vehicle to avoid pain in the same way that some people become obsessed with health and fitness as a distraction. Or, or gamble it's or alcoholism or anything. Yeah, it's
0: it's another Entreprene- entrepreneurialism.
1: Yeah, it's another potential addiction. Yeah. Um, and I suppose you could argue that any addiction, when it's, when it's taking over everything else completely, is unhealthy. Even, you know, being like a gym addict or obsessive about eating or anything like that could actually be at a, at a level unhealthy, and helpful. Same thing with entrepreneurship. It's like, hey, let's say that building a successful business is good for you as an individual um, if it's a successful business and it makes a difference, it's good for the clients, the customers you serve, it's good for the team, the staff that you might employ, it serves the greater good. And if it becomes an obsession and nothing else exists, then it's going to become a problem. Same thing with, use health and fitness as another example. If all you do all day every day is that and you completely disregard your job or your career or your business, your family your faith, other areas of your life, then, you know, it's going to cause you to get out of sync.
0: Okay, let's talk about your business. Yeah. So you run an events business. Expert Empires is one of the events you run that I've spoken at many times. Um, How did the lockdown and pandemic affect you, bearing in mind, overnight, March 2020, you can't run your business anymore?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, short-term very painful long term hasn't really made that much difference but then again how would you know
0: Because you go well because it could have been five times as better if there were no lockdown or it could have been five times as worse. yeah
1: something else could have happened so who knows and and actually in every downside there's an upside and there are certain things we've we had to do that we would not have done had lockdowns and covid not happened like running virtual events so you actually spoke at our first ever big virtual event called Expert Empires Global, we wouldn't have... I don't think, I can't say conclusively, that I would never have run a virtual event like that. But I don't... It certainly wasn't on my radar to do that. But I did it because there wasn't really any other option. I wouldn't have started my podcast, which you were on at me for about two or three years. Since
0: 1985, yeah,
1: I think. To I go, <laughs> yeah, so to go, Nick, you've got to do a podcast, you've got to do a podcast, and here's why, and it'll be amazing. And eventually... Because the absence of live events being my main focus created a space for me to launch the podcast. Yeah. And I'm really glad that I did. Um, same thing with the virtual events. So with every downside, there's an upside. There are a couple of them right there. Um, it also challenged me. You know, I, I really believe that running a business, being an entrepreneur is the greatest form of, or one of the greatest forms of personal development you'll ever experience. So let me set the scene. Um, I forget the exact date in March. I'd sold 508 tickets for a live event in London. We had two speakers that were flying over from the US. Um, I'd invested six figures in their fees to come over. And I don't know if people can remember or you remember, Rob, around this time, there was no actual lockdown in place, but there was definitely a feeling of fear. And so um, I'd actually been on holiday in Dubai with my family for a week. Um, And so I'd been at a distance and wasn't really watching the news or kind of seeing what was going on. So I land back in the UK, I go into the office and it's like, uh, what do we do? Do we cancel the event? Do we run the event? What do we do? Um, I am, generally speaking, pretty laid back and very optimistic. So I'm going, it will be fine. Like... It can't be, this. obviously there was no precedent for this at all. So um, obviously right now we look back and go, well, we know lockdowns happened and the reason why, but the idea of there ever even being lockdowns was just outrageous. Like it wasn't a reality for for me, for us. So um, me being super optimistic, I was like, look, people choose not to come, that's their choice. We're running the event no matter what, even though it was gonna cost me a fortune. I was like, look, one of our company values is we do what we say we'll do. I was like, we said we were gonna run this event, We've got to run the event. Otherwise, we're letting people down. So there was a lot of people phoning, emailing in saying, is event still going ahead? So I did a video and I went, right, I just want to set the record straight. The event's going ahead. Within 24 hours, I had 105 emails, phone calls, or basically like comments on social media hammering me for being irresponsible. Like you've just been greedy. You're only running it because of money. All of these things, and that was hard. Like that hurt, because also I knew that actually the easy route financially would have been to not run the event. You know, Rob, you've run some big events. Events cost a fucking fortune, so it actually would have been easy for me to. Then
0: you, you got hotel, AV, food, accommodation, all of that on top of the six. Exactly. Figures. Yeah,
1: exa- exactly. Six so figures. I was probably in for, uh, on average, anything between three and five hundred grand every time I run an event, right? Yeah. Um. So I was in for probably on that one probably a few hundred grand. In expense, So it would have been easy for me to just cut the event. Um, but I didn't want to. I, I always operate, I go like, what do I feel is the right thing to do? I, I always revert back to our company values, which I, I believe are, for any business, like they are the go-to place for key decisions. And so went back to the values, I went right, the right thing to do here is to run the event. So, um, and then after the feedback and, you know, bless them, some of my team are taking phone calls from people who are getting really nasty. But like when people are in fear, People get nasty sometimes, and so that was that was not pleasant. So um, the decision I took was I went look um, based on this feedback, I held my hands up and I went, you know what? I think I got this wrong. So I did another video out on social and sent it out to all of our clients, our customers, ticket holders. Oh, you know what? I think I got this wrong. I didn't. I didn't anticipate how you all felt about going to a public event. And so here's what I've decided to do. And so we went. First of all, the event's going ahead online. We did not have a state-of-the-art studio like you have here, Rob. We had a few laptops and a bit of cheap lighting. So I think it was it was two to three days later. We had a makeshift studio. We ran the event online. I also said we'll still honour the ticket for the next when we can run a live event, and we'll upgrade that ticket for you for no extra charge. And in that moment, like as soon as we did that, everything changed. Like I went from having it was I counted well over a hundred people that were like savage, really unpleasant, and it just dissolved the whole situation. So, in the short term, painful. Um, in the mid term, still a bit painful because I couldn't do the thing A that I love to do and B that's the lifeblood of our business. So we did a lot. A lot of work online, as, as you did, Rob, and most people in our industry did, um, which I wouldn't have done otherwise. So that in itself was a, a bit of a blessing. Um, and what it also caused us to do, um, around this time, we, we were already, we'd already invested in building a training facility. And so when that completed, it meant that we could run, you know, as we came out of lockdowns, instead of running two or three large-scale events a year, we then switched to run, um, like, two or three small events a week. So we were running events for 10, 15, 20 people a few times a week. Um, And actually that structure still exists in our business today, which we weren't doing anywhere near as much because we didn't have our own facility then, so we couldn't before. So, you know, from every downside, there's an upside. There was a lot of upsides. It was painful at the time. Um, You know, I'm really proud that we didn't, um, we didn't have to let any staff go. We were were able to keep trading. the, the, the key place, I guess, aside from the events, the key focus went on to serving the existing client base because what I knew was if we continued to serve the existing client base, i.e. our mastermind members, people like that, um, that we would be okay financially because um, as long as they're okay and they're paying, then we're okay as well. So I kind of switched off new business, new opportunities, new lead gen for a month or so and just focused on that. And that's that was, I think... out to be quite a smart move
0: Mm. so one of the things i wanted to do in my training business for quite a few years is to take it global Mm. and because i've got young kids don't particularly want to travel don't really want the overhead headache and the operational headache of trying to set up a new office in australia in different states in america and blah 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 so for five or six years every year i'm like next year we'll do global events, next year we'll do global events. And I probably never would have done them no, until the lockdown, yeah. which forces you to do global events because you can't do local events. And it didn't occur to me in six years to do online global events. And that's what the pandemic and the lockdown taught me in business. Just one thing quickly, Nick. I always had the assumption that online events, you cannot have the same experience yeah. as a face-to-face event. And I think in some ways I was right. But when you can't do a face-to-face event, it forces you to learn how to create a great experience online.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and, um, I suppose there's a couple of things. What's interesting is, um, would there have been... Was the market ready for online five or six years ago? Probably not to the degree that they were and are now, or were in 2020 and 21 and now in 22.
0: But most disruptors... Disrupt by giving the market what it's not ready for. It doesn't know it's ready for, but Sometimes. they make it ready for them, yeah. don't they? Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, you did, black taxis didn't need disruption. Fair. Uh, but Uber gave us something we didn't know we needed.
1: Yeah. And I think in some cases you can give the market something it doesn't know it needs and it's not ready for it. So it tanks. Yeah. And there's plenty, of, plenty yeah, of examples. Loads, yeah. How, how, many app, how, many, how many apps claim to be the next Uber or the next Just Eat? Or the next Facebook. But maybe
0: that's execution. Maybe. Lack of cash, maybe. not...
1: Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes it's a flawed concept and the market's not ready for it. Yeah. I think running events online from 2020 onwards, the you know everyone knows how to use Zoom. Like when I say everyone, most of the population knows how to use Zoom. That wasn't the case pre-pandemic, yeah. right? So I think the market has become more mature. Um, but I think you're right. Could you have run online events... Successfully pre 2020? Yeah, probably. And also, there was less competition because obviously a lot more competition came into play Mm. post 2020 as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I never, one of the reasons I never wanted to run online events is because I didn't want to cannibalize myself and compete with myself. Because if you, because you have expert empires, I spoke of that a lot. That's an experience. That's not, hey, let's just sit on Zoom and all look at the gallery view. You know, you do it at a really nice London hotel. You've got premium VIP, masterminds, nice dinners, networking, a great room. You've not packed everyone in like sardines. You've got amazing speakers. Business is done in the room. That's an experience. You can't replicate that online. Well. But then you were forced to try.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, look, at, at less than
0: and that's 70- what Sorry, and that's why I didn't want to run online events. Because yeah. I, I didn't want you to have the choice not to come to my face-to-face event. Of course. Because you can just sit in your pants and do it online. You'll probably take the more convenient option. Yes. Yeah, and, and I think um,
1: the, the question I asked myself, and look, at 72 hours notice in March 2020, the online event we ran was good enough with no tech setup, no nothing. Yeah. But then the question I asked myself going forward was, how can I create, like looking at all the things you just said that we do at our events, the dinners, the masterminds, all the other experiences. I'm like, how can I create that online? And there are some things that I can't create online, but then there are things that I can create online that I can't create in person. Like? So making the the Q&A sessions more accessible, like it's easier for someone to ask a question in the chat than it is in a room. Some people won't raise a hand in the room.
0: Well, when the speaker's speaking, generally there's no Q and A.
1: Yeah, a lot of our speakers still do the Q and A, but but like there are people that will come to an event and would dare yeah. would never dare raise a hand, but it's much easier for them to put something in the chat. Yeah,
0: you so, can do polls as well, can't you? Yeah, there's, yeah. Lo- there's
1: loads of things you do. I mean, look, I mean, the, obviously the commercial aspect is one element. I'll tell you this: the Expert Empire's global event we ran, the cost of running it was far less than any of our major live in-person events. Speaker fees were lower because they didn't have to travel. Um, we didn't have venue costs. We had a, a, a state-of-the-art studio, that I think you've used as well. We paid to hire it. Um, but it wasn't as expensive as a venue. Um, so there was a lot of costs we did not have. Mm. Um, what was interesting was, um, as far as like, gross revenue on the back end of the event, it was the highest gross revenue event we'd ever run. And it wasn't the biggest event we have ever run. So it was highly profitable. Um, The next question you're going to ask is, why aren't you doing them again and again and again? Or you might have been thinking that. Um, And I'm not saying that we won't do it again. Um, And there's got to be somewhere you have to factor in, like, what do I actually love doing? And I found that event really hard. Like, my experience was, I drove down to the place where the studio was, I stayed in the hotel around the corner, I was on stage in front of camera for like 12 hours straight almost. It was knackering. Don't get me wrong, it was great result, highly profitable, but I don't actually relish the idea of doing that again and again. Well,
0: there's no energy exchange, is there? Yeah, you haven't totally. got the feedback from it's the hard. audience. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to self, It is different. Yeah, you have to yeah.
1: self-energise. It's hard. Um, would I do it again? Maybe. Am I compelled to do it immediately? Absolutely not. Because... My, my, my perspective, Rob, and I know that you and I have spoken about this and you feel similar, is like now everyone in our industry seems to be just like only doing online and very little live, which is great news for me. And me. I've just sold out. Like the, This is the Expert Empires event we're running um, in September. Uh, depending on when you're listening to this, it might already be passed. We sold that event out earlier than any event we've ever sold out before. Ever. In history, and I've been doing this a long time. Mm. And I think that's a combination of lack of competition quite frankly, and that people have been starved of live interactions for so long that now, like, people are all over that and embracing that opportunity. So, Mm. um, yeah, I mean, I I would probably will at some point run online stuff again um, at that scale, but it's not compelling or exciting for me right now.
0: Yeah. In 2011-12, I think... Quite a few people of my peers pitched me this idea Mm. to take my company that I'd spent 10 years building and loving and nurturing and put it into this group which would then float on the stock exchange and we'd get a big fat multiplier of it and there's this super deal that was on the table. Um, And I know you actually got involved in that. And the great thing about things happening 10 years ago is people can now start talking openly and honestly about them. And I love talking about things later that other people have moved on from because you get the proper lesson. Like, for example, if I asked you six months after the pandemic and lockdown about what you learned, you wouldn't have had enough time and experience to have figured it out. It would have been too raw. And also six months a year after, if you're doing well, everyone was scared to say they're doing well because you're supposed to be failing in the pandemic. And it's like bad to say I was making good money through the pandemic. So... Mark and I opted out of this deal because yeah. we didn't think it would work. And it didn't fucking work. Yeah. Um, tell us about it. Well, Tell us everything you can. I, I don't want to name the company yeah, yeah. Um, just because, you know, I like the company. But tell us about what happened.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, there were a, there were a couple of different deals like this floating around at the time. Some of which I wouldn't have touched with a barge pole. And then there was one in particular that I did get involved in. A, because I liked the company and like the company, present tense, um, still do a lot of business with them now. Um, Look, I was at a point in my business, bear in mind, back then, my business was probably less than 10% the size of my business now. So, like, I was still, I didn't realise it then, but I was still relatively early on in the journey. And so I got, like, the opportunity which sounded really big and exciting, was very appealing. Now, you were a lot further along in the journey. If somebody came to me with that deal now, I'd probably respond differently because now I've got something of value that's been built up over a long period of time. Back then, the thing that I'd built hadn't been nowhere near as much time had gone into it. There wasn't as much value in it. So, you know, when you've got something that has, I didn't realise at the time, but little value and you get an opportunity that's got a lot more value attached to it, it felt like a good deal, right?
0: Um, so tell us the structure of the deal, because you're right, yeah. I got pitched two or three different ones of these. I think, I know the names of the people, I know the names of the companies and haven't seen one come off. So tell us how the deal was structured. Tell us what it was like and tell us. Yes, yeah, so um, the,
1: deal, the deal was brought to me by a friend of mine. Um, he had a company similar to mine, same industry. Um, the idea was we, we essentially amalgamate those two together so that the, the, the sum of those two parts is greater than the individual's. And then um, there was a larger company that wanted to purchase that asset.
0: And then there was not just you two, weren't they? were doing that deal with others, were they, as I, well? I think there was other versions,
1: but we were just us two. There yeah, because they there was, obviously
0: pitched us and other companies as well. So, yeah, yeah. So,
1: so the, but the deal that we did, to be clear, was only our two businesses. There was yeah. no one else involved. Yeah. There was a, Like I said, there was another party that was trying to amalgamate multiple companies into yeah. one and then do the same thing. Yeah. Which I don't, I I wouldn't have done and didn't do because I was like, if I'm going to get in bed with someone, I want to know who I'm getting in bed with. And, yeah. and in fairness, the person that I did that deal with, we're still friends to this day, and we'd known each other a long time. So yeah. at least I knew what I was getting into. Um, it was a asset sale. Once we'd amalgamated the two, part cash, part earn out, part um, share options.
0: Okay, and, and, and it
1: and I'll be honest. Well. The question is, did it work? It depends how you measure work. Okay, so did, did, in the short you, did you term, get cash? Yes. So in the short term, I got cash.
0: Yeah, how much? Um,
1: well, I'm not going to give you the number. Why not? Um, because I don't want to. Um, <laughs> well, and here's the thing. At the time, the amount of cash seemed like a decent chunk of cash. In the huge scheme of things, it wasn't really. Um, but the earnout served me pretty well over the next 12, 18, 24 months. So did, did you get, get the earn hour as well? Yeah, made some good.
2: If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts, by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. Money on that. Yeah. Um, I had to
1: work for it. So yeah. it wasn't like a, yeah, you just get paid it for sitting in your pants with your feet up. It was like I had to work, yeah. continue to operate in the business in order to get the earn out, but did really well out of that as well. Um, the, the, share options piece never came to fruition, albeit still is active technically. So the could still it'd be fucking cool if in five years time all of a sudden I go that comes to fruition from you know 15 years ago or something. Because that's possible. Um so would I do it again if the same opportunity is presented to me now I'd probably say no. But that's given the current status and setup of my business.
0: Um, at the time... Why, why would you say no?
1: Because, A, the business we've built or the businesses we've built now have a clear vision that I'm committed to and I wouldn't want to be answerable to anybody else on that vision. Yeah. That's the reason, really. that There isn't any other reason than that. Um, That business back then, bear in mind, I was in my 20s and somebody waved some cash at you and, you know, it made me feel like the big man. And by the way, I went and bought a stupidly expensive car that I probably couldn't afford and did a load of other things. Like, I spent a load of money on fancy, you know, experiences and stuff, which was cool at the time, but probably not the smartest financial move. But that deal allowed me to do those things. Mm. And... Would I have the business, the life I've got today if I hadn't done that deal? No, I wouldn't. Mm. So actually, even though I say I wouldn't do that deal if it was presented to me today, I don't regret doing the deal because it led me on the path. And I wouldn't have the company, the vision, the team, the client base, all of that.
0: Maybe you would. Maybe it'd be bigger. Maybe it'd be better. We don't
1: know, do we? But I'll tell you this. Back then, I wasn't thinking as big as I am now
0: nick james has been a friend of mine for 12 years plus nick is actually offering you his vision and meeting and strategic growth templates because here's the thing we all learn stuff but actually getting physical templates to do vision meetings and build your five and ten year strategy this is something that very few entrepreneurs do so if you go right now to expertempires.com forward slash planning nick's grown a seven figure business He focuses on helping other entrepreneurs build a seven-figure business. And I'm telling you, these resources will be very valuable to you. So the person you went into business with doing this, um, are you still in business with the person? How did that go?
1: Yeah, so we're not in business together now, um, but we're still
0: friends. And why did it separate?
1: So it separated. um, It was part of the deal as such was the earn out and the continuation of, of trading. to to,
0: to merge
1: yeah yeah. ultimately the merged business alongside the company that acquired the asset that was not viable the model was not viable we were trying to do too many things like the things that we'd done to build two separate successful businesses which was essentially training and masterminds we then moved into more of like an agency model which you know about you've got an agency. And the way we did that wasn't smart and so we ended up, essentially it wasn't financially sustainable, so we separated out.
0: What was it like separating a business?
1: The hardest thing that I've ever had to deal with personally. Why? So, because, not because of the financials, because by the way, the financials are pretty clear, um, I can share this, he kept... The business, I got nothing, which was really hard. It was hard because all of a sudden, why did that through, happen? By the way, uh, just because the way we'd set up the share ownership was and that naivety on because, your part,
0: or did you want to go in with that exit?
1: Um, no, uh, it was because the business had built up a significant amount of debt, and so the choice was either, um,
0: right. like. You So he had the asset but he had the debt as well. Correct.
1: Yeah. And we're not gonna go into what happened next, because that's none of my business anymore. But ultimately, um I ended up with no business and also no debt. Yeah. He ended up with the business, the ongoing concern and the debt. Yeah. Um but I started back at zero in July twenty
0: fifteen. Um so you and you was, got some money and spent it and you started back at zero? Correct. Yeah.
1: And what was hardest about it was it was interesting. It wasn't the fact that I was back at zero financially. I felt like I'd, I'd got good enough at marketing, selling over time that I, I could always you know, yeah. create something. It'd be fine. Um, albeit you know, the first few days were quite stressful. <laughs> um, it was more, and I realised this you know later down the line, the identity I'd built for myself was I'm a co-owner of this business. And then when that when that was no longer the case, I lost my identity, and so that was there was a period of time. It was the hardest um, hardest phase of my life because I didn't know who I was anymore. I, well, I wasn't able to be the person that I would built up in my mind. Um, you know, and so you know we talked earlier about um, being obsessed with the business and therefore taking you off the ball elsewhere. You know, like relationship wise. Um, bad time, family-wise, bad time, financially, bad time, health-wise, bad time, um, because I'd lost my sense of self-worth. Because my sense of self-worth had been linked to the business. What's interesting now, and we're you know, many years down the line, and you're like, say it's, it's great, you can talk about these things. I go, I can genuinely say, and I don't want to put any energy there, I can genuinely say, if I lost the business I've got tomorrow, I'd still, I still wouldn't, I'm not saying I'd be happy about that, but I'd still have the sense of self. I'd still be me. I could still have a great family life, be healthy and fit, all the other things, because my identity is not linked to the success of the business. Yeah. And that was a big I only had that realisation a few years later. It took me it took me time. Had to heal some wounds before I could get before I was open to learning that. Was but there, great was, experience.
0: Was there one major thing that dug you out of that hole that you were in?
1: Um, yeah. Expert Empires events. Yeah. It was, it was from July.
0: As in your business, Expert Empires, starting to run events. Running again. the event, yeah. yeah.
1: So July 2015, that 18-month period that followed was like, I was just gritting it out. I yeah. was just doing what I knew to put food on the table and, yeah. and you know, market some programs and make sales and deliver on those sales. And it was hard um, and then got to the point where I started thinking bigger again. Mm. so And probably around that time, you know, I'd, I'd started turning making some better decisions, health-wise, relationship-wise, yeah. family-wise, all of those things. And I do believe that um, your personal life and your business life are not separate entities because one will naturally affect the other. Mm. And I think, you know, whilst am i saying that in order to have a successful business, you have to be healthy and fit and have a great relationship. No, there's plenty of examples of people that aren't. But I think it's easier. I think if you were unhealthy and had a toxic or non-existent relationship and you had a successful business, I believe if you were healthier and had a better relationship, you'd have a better business as well, is my opinion.
0: So let me give you some context as to why we just discussed that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a very sceptical business partner, as you know. He's a worrier. <laughs> he can pick a flaw in anything. And I've never met anyone ever that's as genius as him at finding faults and problems. He's just brilliant at it. Um,
1: and by the way, I never had that.
0: No. I'm and a, you're an optimist. Or, I'm more like you. Yeah. So I didn't have that no. to even me out. no. And this is why I wanted to talk about this, because what Mark will always say to me is you don't know how something has turned out until it's done. As opposed to you're starting it, you're doing it. You only really know how it what you can learn from it when it's done. And there's lots of people you and I have seen in our peers and in our industry that merge or do deals or do partnerships and it looks good at the start because everyone's got the happy ears and eyes and you're an optimist and i'm an optimist and like this is going to be great and sometimes it is and sometimes it's not but i think the best lessons are when you can unpick something and reverse engineer it so that's the context of why i asked that because you know and by the way it's still not done is it really no. You go, well, we've got but if Mark benefit. was here, he'd say that money's never coming.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and here's the interesting thing. The, the one advantage was I went into the deal with that with that expectation. Yeah. I went. Let's pretend that money's never coming. Yeah. Because. And like the I earn said, out I said, said the cash is us. I said then. this earlier. I went. I always look at the best case scenario. I always look at the worst case scenario. Yeah. So I went right. Worst case scenario. That's never happening. So let's just look at the cash. And to be fair, the earn out, because I went, look, you know, I knew already that we all we had to do was keep doing what we'd been doing and we'd be able to at least generate a certain amount in the yeah. earn out in that period of time, yeah. which was a couple of years. Um, so, look, you know, it, it is, I suppose you could argue you now it is done and we can look back at it. Um, and I, I honestly don't think, even if I had the choice, I'd change it now because I wouldn't have... What it did give me, it gave me the opportunity to very quickly run a bigger business, Mm. which taught me about leadership because I'd only ever run a very, very small team. I had like a couple of staff before that deal. And then, you know, over the course of the next 18 months, we had like 20 staff. So it taught me a lot about leadership. Um, I fell short on a number of occasions in that area, and that was good learning for Mm. me. Um, I learned as part of that, actually, one of the greatest gifts, the company that we did the deal with was, a you know them, a big company at the time I had five, six hundred staff. And part of it was I get to I got to see how they operated. Mm. And so I learned how do they set a vision for for a huge vision for the future. And then how do they create a strategic plan mm. over the next quarter, the next year to move towards that vision. And then how do they decide what tactics to implement day in, day out, week in, week out. I never had a structure like that in place before. And so working closely with them, I learned that structure. And that's actually Without that, I don't believe I'd have ever been able to build a multi-seven-figure business on my own.
0: Well, talking about structure, um, you don't know this, but you and your team taught me something that I already knew. But Um, if you weren't doing it... To know and not to do is not to know. There you go. This is why I'm talking about it, because when all is said and done, more is said than done. And you don't know something until you actually fucking do it. Yeah. And so, you know, I've read Work the System, Scaling Up and all the books that teach you about templating and systemizing your business. I interviewed Michael Gerber fricking years ago who wrote The E-Myth. So I know about templates and systems. I think it was in Scaling Up I got the idea of the one-page checklist, which is great because it's better than having a fucking great massive manual for everything. And I thought I knew this game and then... You and I are doing a little, when I say little, we're doing a challenge together, our um, Get Paid for Podcasting Challenge. You good know, name, by the way. Good name. Very good name. Same as the name of your podcast is a good name. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, all our
1: best ideas, all Rob's, all my best ideas generally come from Rob or somebody else, all Rob's best ideas come from me or from somebody else. That's
0: the great thing about being friends with, with exactly. people in business. So, exactly. so yeah, I mean, I, as you know, Nick, I was a bit struggling for the name or the concept. Well. And anyway, it's so much
1: easier when it's not your concept. Of course it
0: though. is. Like, I, I looked at that and I went, get paid for podcasting. Yeah. That's
1: obvious. And you were like, oh, that is actually quite good. It's I do cool. have the occasional good idea. Yeah, you do. Um, I was due at the time. Um, yeah. And and vice versa with Empire Builders. Mm. You were like, that is a brilliant name. And I was like, oh, yeah, thanks.
0: Yeah, great. So the reason you and I are doing this challenge is because we like to do business together. Um, and... Your team sent me uh, basically a request template. Here is what we need to execute this challenge. Yeah, it was all in one document. It wasn't in bit in WhatsApp, bit in Dropbox, bit in email, bit you know like this freaking normal. And it and it went all the way from title, benefits, dates, time, location. What you're going to teach, what the homework's going to be, what the page URLs are, da 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 da. And I have been asking my team to create these request templates eight years. And I saw that and I sent it to my whole team and I'm like, that's how you do it. That is how you create a system. And I sat there and I spent 45 minutes and I filled the whole thing out. And then Your team replied just with three or four questions. Mm -hmm. And then I replied. And that whole challenge is now planned. Well, I'm assuming it is. I filled it in. So you should have what you need. And so I learned what I already knew from you, which is about having good templates and systems and processes that you create once. So then you've got scalability, duplicability and replicability. So do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah. And by the way, I am not naturally a systems person. At all, but over
0: time, yeah. Let's give Adam his dues. He sent me that, so yeah. maybe I should be shouting well, well, him well, out. And if you're not a
1: good systems person, you need a good systems person. Yeah, ads, ads, brain is very systematic. That's how he operates. Um, in the same way that you know Mark is very different to you in terms of how he thinks and yeah. how he sees the world. And so you know, I think you can't you can't be brilliant at all the things. Yeah, you got to have. You know different people in your business either partners or key members of your team that are excellent in different areas so i, I couldn't say that i'm a, a a systematic person by nature um but and by the way when the first time we did one of those challenges we were winging it yeah and then when we did the second one we were winging it a bit less and when we did the third one we were winging it even less and and now we got you to have a point, system and a template we got to the point we went okay we've now done enough that we've now got a best practice And by the way, we'll still change that template over time when we come up with new stuff or when we learn things from trial and error. So, but I think that's one example of a template for a thing, for a campaign in our business. Um, I think probably at the highest level where where I find most value is having a template or a structure for all your planning, not just for one campaign, but for how you run and how you operate the business. So, um, well, Rob, you know that we've we've um, evolved this over many many years. But um, for me, having structure in the business is three things. It's first of all vision, like what is it that you'd love to create over the next year, three years, five years, long term. Strategy is then what are the key areas of the business that are most the biggest priorities if you're going to deliver on the, that vision. And then tactics, like what are the things you need to do today, tomorrow, what are the tasks. Who's responsible for those tasks, etc. And I think what a lot of businesses do, they don't have that structure in place, and so there's there's chaos. There, there's confusion. There's overwhelm. Um, the team or the people in the business have no clarity, or certainty, or confidence to know what they should be working on day in day out. And so having that structure, and and again, it's you know something that we've built over years and improved and, and tweaked and honed, and having that essentially templated, mm. so it's a fill in the blanks. Um, makes it easy for others to then replicate it. So what that means is I don't have to be involved in every single bit of planning that we do in our business because we've got templates that have been created from best practice over the years.
0: I know so many people watching and listening struggle with that. And often what people do is they will teach you how to do that, but actually what people really just want is give me the fricking templates. Can you help out?
1: Yeah, you need both, obviously. So um, what we've got, actually, which happens happy to share with your audience, Rob, of course, um, is we've got uh, a collection of training and templates for the strategic planning process. So this is the process that I first learned from this big company back in 2014, it was, um, and implemented in the business. Um, it was my go-to in 2015 when I started from scratch in July, and we wouldn't have been able to build the businesses we've built since without it. Um, essentially, there's training on how to do strategic planning, how to set a clear vision for the future, how to know what you should be prioritizing in the next three, six, 12 months, and how to know which tactics you should be using right now. That's where people get unstuck. There's so much noise, and there's so many different tactics we're learning from seminars and workshops and podcasts and audiobooks and books and all those different things that we get confused and overwhelmed. So, the process will help you get clear on. What's the vision? What are the strategies you should be focusing on right now? And what are the tactics that you should be deploying? Um, And we've put together some templates, the ones that we actually use those templates now every single quarter in our businesses when we do planning. Um, So we're making those templates and training available um, for your audience.
0: Well, then send them where they need to go.
1: Where they need to go. expertempires.com forward slash planning.
0: Right, whatever you're doing, whether you're watching, listening, driving, working out or whatever, stop. Stop what you're doing. Oh,
1: 200,000. I was going to (laughs) say, don't be slamming that watch (laughs) on the desk that hard.
0: Um, Mark wouldn't like me to tell anyone that. Um, Stop what you're doing. The link again. Expertsempires.com
1: forward slash planning.
0: This is a vital part of your business whereby (laughs) if you keep starting everything again, again then you have duplication, chaos, confusion, and a mess. Nick can't run an ever-improving Expert Empires event if he doesn't have a template and a checklist from previous events and previous events and previous events. So I think what Nick is giving away is great because, honestly, most businesses don't normally share those. They don't want to share those. So one more time. Link, Nick.
1: ExpertEmpires.com forward slash planning. And what I should say is there's a small amount of information, but really what we're doing is giving you the best chance possible of implementation. So, you're worried you've your watch That would <laughs> um, be expensive to fix. Um, what we're doing is giving you the best chance possible of implementing this process so that you can create more clarity and certainty and confidence. Yeah. If you've got a team, I'm telling you, this will be the most valuable process you'll ever go through. Um, even if you haven't got a team, establish, establishing these habits now will allow you to grow and scale much more quickly.
0: Thank you, Nick. Right. Um, I remember seeing you say something which riled me up. And it wasn't really... Good, you, yeah. good. Because you say a lot of shit that riles people up. I've seen your socials. Good. So it's about time someone says shit that riled you up. A oh, people say shit that riles me up all the time, but it, they're usually in the government. <laughs> it's yeah. not, not, but actually, Nick, it wasn't you. It was Gary Vaynerchuk. Okay. So... Context, I think the work that Gary Vaynerchuk has done for entrepreneurs is overall very good. I think many stuff that he said has come to be true that we should have all listened to earlier than we did. But one thing he does that fucking pisses me off and it's completely disrespectful is he stands on events and he slags all the other speakers who sell when he got paid £200,000 to speak. I think it's disrespectful. Um, and I don't mind sharing that. And if he wants to come on my show and talk about it, I'll happily talk about that. But I understand that he gave you advice when he spoke at your Expert Empires to not have anyone sell on your event and not have a speak to sell event, just build an event with no selling. And I wanted to talk about that. And by the way, I might be wrong, and he might be right and vice versa. But I wouldn't stand on a stage having paid, being paid a couple of hundred grand and disrespect all the other speakers speaking on that stage. I just don't think that's the right thing to do. Anyway, let's discuss the advice he gave you and what you think. Yeah,
1: so for context, the advice was given way before the Expert Empires event, before he was hired to speak at that event. The advice was given, and I think it was fair, in the context of what I'd done previously, So in that previous business partnership, we were running events. Um, There was, I'm not going to say a lot of selling from stage, what's a lot compared to what. Compared to some other events in the industry, there wasn't that much, but there was a lot compared to what we do now at Expert Empires, for example. Um, And that was his advice. The advice was not directed at it's bad to sell from stage. The advice was, if you wanna build a community and a brand, you gotta give people more of what they want and less of what they don't want. And so what we essentially did was, um, when I created the Expert Empires events, the first one we did was in May 2017. Gary was the headline speaker at that one. We dramatically reduced the selling from stage. Um, We made it so that whatever selling from stage there was, was highly relevant to the audience, affordable, and done in a way that feels good, whether you buy or not. Um, and I think that was good advice. He's, to be clear, when he's spoken at my event, there was nothing he said that I felt was disrespectful to me or to any of the other speakers. So I can only go off my own experience.
0: Yeah. And I gave context that a lot of what Gary has said, I think has been really good. Yeah. And, and I've seen him say this, but I haven't spoken to him about it. So I put that in context as well. And also, I can separate... Do I like a person and do I like what they say? And any person I like can say something I don't like. And they're separate. And also, they might not give a fuck if I don't like what they say. So, so um, But the reason I wanted to talk about this is, is because it takes a lot of money and a lot of time to run events. And we both know, peers, friends who have done one event too big and it's sent them under and they've gone bust. Yeah. And there's almost this expectation that, well, you, know, you don't want any sales pitches at the event and it's all just got to be a great experience, but people don't really want to pay a lot. And the speakers, like Gary, want to get paid hundreds of thousands of pounds. So how the fuck can anyone make any money in the speaking industry? Well, if it's a free event, you surely should be expected to have some commercial pitches because it's free. Well, and if you don't want to be pitched to... Pay 2,000 quid to go to the event. Yeah, and, and what I like to think we've achieved
1: with Expert Empires is something that's somewhere in the middle. So I go, it's not two grand to attend, but it's not free and it's not like...
0: It's not a pitch fest, a pitch but you fest, still but make also, offers.
1: So like, but it's commercially viable for me and for us. That's the point.
0: In other words, you sell your product.
1: We offer our masterminds yeah. from stage at the event. Yeah. We have a one key sponsor that also offers a product. Yeah. Um, and it's very affordable entry level. And we have another speaking slot, which is, again, that varies on who, who takes it, where there is an offer. But I always make sure that the offers are made in alignment with our values. That's the main
0: thing, really. So you've created a hybrid. Exactly, Between yeah. no selling and... Because let's also, also honour the fact that there are some events which are just pitch, 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 and And they're a bit too much, aren't they?
1: Yeah, exactly, and and well, the question is, um, I think it's about setting expectation as well. So, um, interest in the market is becoming more um, aware, and therefore, like the the going to a free event. I think there was a time where going to a free event, and it's like people would be shocked that they were being sold to. People are now getting aware of the fact that well if it's a free event you're going to be sold to because it, it has to be commercially viable and is
0: there anything wrong with that
1: exactly no i don't believe there is yeah um providing you set expectation in mm. fact um somebody who we both know i remember learned this from years ago and he used to run free events and in the in the advert for the event it would say look it's free to come to this event and you might be thinking is this just going to be a pitch fest am i just going to be selling 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 well, I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. It's a, whatever it was, three-hour, five-hour event. And session one's going to be this, and session two's going to be this. Then I'm going to take 20 minutes. I'm going to tell you about this program, and then session four's going to be this. So then I go, no one can have a problem because yeah. it's, it's completely transparent. They've told them in advance. When, if anybody ever, um, if you go to a, a website and see information about our Expert Empires event, it's full, fully transparent. I go, mm. look, um, there are mastermind programs that we offer will tell you a bit about them at the event and most of the speakers have nothing to sell to you at all which is true yeah so I think having that transparency and I think and you alluded to this earlier Rob the experience that you create essentially buys you creates the rapport the environment whereby people are more open and um receptive to any kind of sales or marketing message. Yeah. I think when you put people into um, a room for free, there's no experience whatsoever. There's no, like, you know, even things like that we do, as you know, Rob, you know, looking after people with food and um, teas and coffees and all those things, which cost money. Um, you know, if you come to an event and you go, well, I didn't really learn anything and it wasn't a great experience and I'm just getting sold to, it's gonna feel a bit shit. Whereas, you know, if you can create an environment and and so the reason our Expert Empires events cost me so much to run with speaker fees and venue and food and drink and all of that. I'm good with that because I know that essentially you could run a free event which costs you very little and then you're going to make little sales probably as a result of it or you could run a paid event which costs a lot and I believe you're going to make more sales, which is our experience even though we do less selling as such. So it just depends what model you want to go with. And obviously, you know, you and I did the Property Super Conference two three years ago now, um, which was essentially my hybrid. expert empire's event structure model for the property market, for the audience, of course, that Progressive has built over the years. And, and I think we could both agree that that worked very well because it was a hybrid. Um, I think... The, the the two key things, and you asked the question, like, how can somebody, if Gary V's 200 grand or whoever, which, by the way, wasn't what I paid him, but anyway. Um,
0: and here's the thing I found disrespectful about that, is the people who are doing speak-to-sell commercial are the ones that are essentially paying his thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. But I guess the question you asked was, if you're paying the speakers all this money and the venue this much money and all that, how do you make it viable? And for me, there was three things that we did from day one, which, I think I can say this, I feel like, this structure, this model, I pioneered, it's, it's certainly in the UK, which was paid tickets, and the, the tickets started at 200 quid, went up to a grand. Um, sponsorships, so essentially getting other companies to pay for exposure at the event, and then we're less reliant upon but still have back-end products and services for people mm. to purchase. In a free event environment, if you don't have ticket revenue, you don't have sponsors, you're living and dying by the back-end sales result. And guess what? When you're living and dying by the back-end sales result, the sales message has a different energy. And that's why I think we've succeeded. Mm. Because I, I turn up at every event, do I want to make sales? Of course I do. But if we didn't, I wouldn't lose money. Yeah, I'd still be in profit because of the way that we've structured the event.
0: Yeah. Cool. Good discussion.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. This is... A brand new round for disruptors. Okay. in in mind, you're probably going to be like number 850 episode or something like that, and this is a brand new round. I have thought about doing this a couple of times. I haven't yet done it. This will be the first time.
1: I'm honoured. I'm uh, a bit scared,
0: but let's do it. And I think it works for you because there's context for this round. Yeah. So this round is called the what do you think of round. Yeah. And I have picked the names of a few people who you have had as keynote speakers on your event. So I'm not just saying... What do you think of Conor McGregor, who's a random? These are people you have hired to speak at your event. Therefore, yeah. you've had an experience with them. Yeah. Ideally, if possible, your answer needs to be about 30 seconds. Okay. And ideally, you give us an upside and a downside. Okay, good. Yeah. Ideally, but it's your answer, so answer it how you want. So, what do you think of Gary Vaynerchuk?
1: Um, lovely guy. What you get on podcasts and what you see is what you get in real life, was my experience. Um, Was very gracious and um, generous with his time. So can't say a bad thing at all. Um, I think what you alluded to, I I can understand. There are other events that he has spoken at and I'll be honest, I was surprised to see his name associated with those events. Like? I'm not going to name the events. Why not? I don't think it's fair to But me. if
0: he's been on the events, you're not naming anything that's not public domain. Yeah, true. Or what but type he's been of events? So, yeah. so
1: I think he's spoken at events which have been very pitchy, let's say. And my expectation was that he wouldn't have associated with an event like that.
0: Right. Because and
1: then he's he criticised speaker Because when, I, when yeah. I was doing events like that, which I was, yeah. to a certain degree, he wouldn't have spoken at them and he said as much. So I was a little bit surprised.
2: Okay, that's fair my, enough.
1: That's my, that's my fair yeah. assessment from both sides. And by the way, I still listen to his podcast. I've invested in his NFTs. I rate him highly.
0: Great. Um, what do you think of Grant Cardone?
1: He's a force of nature. Um, but honestly, um, I say this in the best way possible because I think he's amazing. He is crazy. And I love him for it. Because again, you've spent time with him. I've spent time with him. He never, he's, He never. Does, that doesn't switch off. That's not what you see on camera, what you see on stage, he's like that, sat around, having lunch with a few people. Like he's absolutely crazy, super high energy. Um, You know, I think he's got the best intentions and sometimes that doesn't necessarily come across. Certainly in, in our business dealings, it's always been, I've never had any issues with any of the business dealings. I think out of a desire to serve commercially, me, the audience, his own interests, maybe certain things were said or done, but it wasn't out of any ill intent. So
0: I, I love Grant, I think he's a legend. Uh, what things do you mean were said and done? Yeah, so there were
1: certain things that we would agree that he would say or speak about on stage and certain things that he would not speak about on stage and then he did. <laughs> but I do believe it was there was no conscious, there was no malicious intent. Yeah. I think that's the key. Love, love Grant, I have worked with him on a number of occasions. We did on the Super Conference and I, I would again.
0: Great. What do you think of David Goggins? Very
1: interesting character. Um, hands down, um, value for money, one of the best speakers I ever hired. And I'm I'm well into, you know, I've never to- totaled it up. It must be between one and one and a half million pounds that I've invested on speakers. Um, hands down, best value for money. I got him at the right time. I got him just as his book, Can't Hurt Me, was coming out. But like, literally I signed the contract and it popped like the next week. It was... Very fortunate. Um like super intense guy. Uh you've interviewed him, I think when he came over for our mm-hmm. event, you interviewed him for the podcast, so uh for, for this podcast. Um super intense. Um like not naturally warm and and any of that, which is what you'd expect. Again, what I think what you see and what you get are the same thing. So yeah, but massive respect for him. Like the guy's a machine. Like the closest thing that you will see in a human body to an actual
0: machine. <laughs> what do you think of Marie Forleo? Uh,
1: so Marie, uh, she spoke at Expert Empires Global, um, which was the virtual event we mentioned that you spoke at as well. Um, she's speaking at the next event in September. I've not actually met her in person because she's coming over to the UK for this event. Um, but in the dealings we've had, uh, again, you know, I think she's um, she's got an amazing energy. She's got really lovely energy. And look, let's just say it, there are not enough, I don't believe, like superstar female speakers. There just aren't, um, and that's a shame, and I, and I think Marie's really leading from the front. Um, I think, you know, like I said, I think she's got uh, great energy and a lot of value to add, and I think she serves as an example to a lot of the up-and-coming aspirational female speakers, and I think she's great. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have hired her for this event if I didn't think she was great, obviously.
0: Of course. Pause this round. Let's talk about the female speaker situation.
1: Okay, you've seen the opportunity there for a bit of a disruptive conversation. Let's go there.
0: Yeah, well, I've talked about this a few times, and I've taken a lot of shit for talking about it, but I have spoken my truth.
1: In fairness, you've given your factual personal experience and been hammered for it, which I think has probably been a bit unfair because all you were doing was giving facts, not opinions. So I do think that's been unfair.
0: And I don't mind that. And I'll explain that now for anyone who hasn't got context. Um, There's always talk of there should be more female speakers, which I agree with. There's always talk there should be more female guests on podcasts, which I agree with. And whenever I put a line up an event out there and there's like one female speaker on it, we often get a bit of criticism. And people don't know how hard we've tried to hire female speakers. And I'm telling you my experience. Hate me for it. I don't care because it's true. Um, and I actually think I'm doing a lot of good in this conversation, but let's just go there. I have reached out to probably 35% female speakers out of all the speakers I've reached out to. And bearing in mind, I have speakers for events, but also for podcasts. Yeah. I've probably reached out to between five and 8,000 people to be on my show or speak at my events, that's a guess, I, I know, because yeah. in the last year, we've got a spreadsheet where we track them all. Let's, say, let's go on the low side and say a third of them are women. Mostly, you don't hear back. When you do, their fees are often unreasonable. When they're not unreasonable, their fees and they agree, they more often cancel or they're harder to book and they're harder to manage. And when you've booked them, Far and away, you get cancelled 12 hours notice, cancelled 12 hours notice, cancelled 12 hours notice, on and on and on to the point where I've got. And again, I'm not here to name and shame. I'm here to open up a healthy dialogue because I come from the place of I want more female speakers. Ninety percent of my YouTube viewers are male. I want it to. But I want it to be. 49.99%, 49.99%, which is what the male population is. And I want it to be 50.001% women. So I'm clearly missing something here, but not through want of trying. But there's been two or three female speakers that have cancelled on a 12 hours notice three, four, and five times. And then people, people get funny and go, well, it must be you, Rob. Well, it's not actually because they don't liaise with me. They liaise with my booking team, and my booking team deals with all my speakers. So it's not actually me. And I've often asked them, is it me? Is it something... And so it, it's really difficult, really difficult for us to book female speakers. And I want to book more. So I'm telling you this. One, because that is my factual experience. Two, I wish it wasn't. Three, I lay the gauntlet down for this to change. Um, what's your thoughts and experience? Um, my
1: experience is completely different. I've not had that experience, so I can't go,
0: yes. Yeah, but one, at least one of your female speakers, I think you're way overpaying for. Well, that's your opinion. Yeah.
1: And... Um, I could also give you a list of female compare speakers, that. But you but know what I'm, I'm totally talking about, and I
0: won't say. And compare it to what you paid David Goggins. It's like yeah. not even in the yeah, yeah. fair.
1: But I'll, I'll counter that with I could give you a list of other female speakers that I feel have been underpaid, if anything. Well, I've gone bloody hell, that yeah. was good value. So yeah. uh, and so I don't see the well, correlation was it, between was it fee, Sam who did
0: the LinkedIn talk. Who was the lady that did yeah, the yeah, LinkedIn yeah, talk? Yeah, yeah. she was brilliant, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, look, but, but again, let's also remind ourselves that speaker fee and quality of content are not necessarily linked or don't correlate.
0: Really, when you're... So shouldn't that be the case, though? Well, I suppose when, I'd look, be your top-paid speaker if I'm that a, was the case. Well, you, <laughs>
1: think, you would think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, for me, when I'm investing in paying a speaker... It's a marketing investment.
0: So you're paying for the pull, the draw. I'm
1: paying for the pull, the draw. Yeah. Like let's just let's just say it as it is. Yeah. That is what I'm paying for. So, like, I have paid. I've had some speakers. You you mentioned one in particular. I, I could give you a list of a. But you're not sorry to. I haven't paid a penny. Yeah. And they've been brilliant on yeah. stage in terms of the content. But they're not a pull. But they're not a pull. I've had other people um, that have given good content and training from stage. Good. And I've paid a significant fee because they're a pull. So it's not just yeah. about the content. It's not just right. about whether they're a pull. It's a combination but let, of But Let me
0: challenge you on one thing. Yeah. Because I don't think you uh, – I hear you, and I know you do this, but I don't know that it's fully accurate. You said it's a, it's a marketing exercise. I'm paying the speaker fee for the pull. But some of the women you've paid, you could have paid the same for a man and you'd have got a bigger pull. Maybe. Well, and I can. Give I wish you, people could see my look on well, the no, audio because I can
1: give you the examples. I could, you, you, I could give you all the speakers we've paid, and yeah. I could put next to them the figures. Yeah. And you would, you wouldn't go, oh, that's high, and that's low, like you would, because that's how you operate, and that'd be your opinion. Yeah. But then I could also counter and tell you why I think they're worth that. Well, the fact is, I don't have to pay it, do I? I'm in choice. So,
0: but but what I'm saying is, okay, let me. I hear you, um, and I'm not sure I agree. Because I think there are speakers you could have paid who would have had more of a pull. So, what I'm saying is, I think you want to give more women speakers more attention and you want to make sure that your speaker lineup has a good representation. So, it's not just marketing pull, it's fair representation. Would it's that be de- fair?
1: Well, definitely fair representation. Yeah. And I know that over 50% of our high level clients are female. Yeah, over 50%. So, for me to have an event, where the, repre- the the speakers on stage are not a fair representation of the audience that mm. I attract and want to continue to attract doesn't make any sense. So I'll look at each speaker on individual merit and go right. This is the speaker. This is the fee they want. Does that stack up and make sense for me?
0: But you al- sometimes but I'm overpaying yeah, and sometimes I'm underpaying. But but you also but that's also not the only answer because you'll look at the whole. Event and make sure you've got representation. So you look 100%. at it singularly, yeah, like I, speaker no, fee, sh- but then yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right By in way, context, it, yeah,
1: like even more than you, you realise or anyone else realises. like I've no, actually I, I got know. quota. So I, I've yeah. gone that far, um, which some people would disagree with. Other people would say, "Thank God somebody's leading from the front and going first and making sure that we've got representation." Yeah. By the way, I'll go there, not just male, female racial yeah as well like making sure that we've got representation of people of color on stage so i've consciously and deliberately like i've been approached or i've had opportunities to sign great speakers that i've turned down because when i look at the lineup the lineup would not be representative of the audience yeah so sometimes that means i pay a bit more to make sure that we have that representation and i believe that long term that is better for the industry the audience and my business so i feel it's the right thing to do
0: mm. good discussion again yeah i don't think anyone by the way, it's, by the also, way I listen it's, i've been in
1: the market a long time yeah. and i've listened and i've you you know well, you get you've had stick for it right for lack of female representation on stage or on the podcast or whatever
0: yeah. and so well, I, I've, I've, what i've had stick for is calling it out and being honest about the experience yeah Because I think people want representation, but they don't understand what it takes to get that. Because you're just basically saying you could overpay for representation. Yes. Or you could turn down a really good speaker at a good fee for representation. So my point is, and this is why it's a great conversation, you are taking short-term losses and hits to make sure you have long-term good representation. Presentation. Yes. Which is also what I'm trying to do. Maybe. And I'm also maybe taking a bit of reputational issues because the easiest thing to do would be to not talk about sex and race.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: All right, cool. Yeah. So, f- so final on. thing. Yeah. The, the podcast is well, called it might, it might not it be might the not final be.
1: thing. We have open see. a whole new thread. <laughs> um, but I feel that we're friends and that I can go there. Let's say this is a problem in your business. As in... The reason you've highlighted I, it is because... I,
0: I would like to get more female speakers. Yeah,
1: and you're going, and I haven't managed to achieve that yet, therefore it's a problem. Yeah. So, all problems are a leadership problem. So, I would argue and put to you, I don't believe it's conscious, because you've consciously, like, you're yeah. consciously trying to, you've, you've made the five or 8,000 list and <laughs> 35% of it's female yeah. and you've reached out to all these people. So, consciously... Um, I guess it's, the, it's a bit like the concept, and I'm not an expert on it, of unconscious bias in terms of um, racial diversity. Like that is a thing and exists. I believe that there's a possibility that there's unconscious bias here as well at play. I'm, it's certainly not conscious because you've done everything you can. I guess the question I'm asking is, how have we had such different experiences? And I'm not saying that I'm right and you're wrong, but you're asking the question, like, going, I have, this is a problem that I haven't managed to solve yet. I want to have more female representation on my stage on my podcast. So yeah. the, the, the only thing we could uh, speculate is that, um, and like you said, you're not even the person dealing with them directly. Um, maybe that's a factor because you go, well, maybe the person who's dealing with directly has got unconscious bias.
0: Yeah, well, he's he is my guy. And I've thought that. I've thought... So I've gone through this, just so you know, I think it's a fair question, and I'm glad you asked it. And, you know, a lot of people who've criticised me have basically said, it's you, not them. Whilst I accept that I'll look at what I can do to improve, I reject that as well, because I've seen it. Like, if someone doesn't agree and doesn't want to be on my show, totally fine. If I'm literally putting so much testosterone and unconscious bias out there, they don't want to know, fair enough but agree, cancel 12 hours before, make an excuse as to why it is when we know the reason, blah, 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 blah. And then people have said to me, oh, but it's probably because they've got families and children to raise. And then when I go and talk about that, people get fucking angry about that. Um, But that might be a reason. But don't agree the podcast and don't cancel it 12 hours before. And by the way, it's not all women. And by the way, some men do that too. But um, But
1: on this topic, and we'll come away from the... um, Gender discussion, and I'll open the race discussion, which by the way, I, I did an episode on this on my podcast recently. Right. Um, so I can't prove with fact that this is true, but about two and a bit years ago, um, th- I was becoming more and more aware of um, issues around racial diversity and in- inequality. And I was embarrassed because my entire team was white. And I went, shit, that's like not good. Yeah. And I was like, what have I done to create that?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and I was like, but I would never not hire someone on the base of race. Yeah. Like, I'd never do that. And so I was like, well, what might I have unconsciously done to create that? And I'm going, well, the fact that the team is 100% white and you can and you could then see that on the website, I go, yeah. that might put somebody off a Yeah. straight away. Yeah. Um, so right away, there not anything that I'm doing or saying. It's like yeah. just what's visible might actually cause someone to not even apply for a role with me. Yeah. And so I started to make more conscious, deliberate decisions to increase racial diversity and equality in my team. Mm. Um, and so I've, I, I was ve- I'm very fortunate. I you know pick the brains of people who I love and trust and would give me the honest feedback. And there was a number of changes we made. And so I think part of it. Um certainly I'm not saying you know somebody agreeing to do something and then cancel it but somebody not wanting to come on the podcast if the podcast is predominantly male then it's possible that a female speaker might just not want to do it for whatever reason
0: yeah or that their um their agent may be booking it and then they may intervene at the last minute and see it I accept that I mean we have a very diverse staffing and we have more men than women. So we don't have the problem culturally. We don't have the problem in the staff, but we may have the. Did you mean more women than men? Yeah, way? what did yeah. I say? Yeah, more men than women. Sorry, I thought, more, I thought yeah, you yeah, meant more Yeah, thank than you than men, for yeah. correcting me. More women than men. I think it's about a 60 40 split. Yeah. And again, that's not overly conscious. It's just actually in many roles, I think female qualities are often better than male qualities. And it's okay to say we're different uh, in that regard. So, yeah, there may be something unconsciously I'm putting out there. there. I accept that, actually, because if all my guests are men, it might it's repel women. But it's the, the problem is I'm trying really hard to get women, and I can't yeah. get... Because if I don't get a woman, I can always get a man next week. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm, you know, so, anyway, interesting so, so discussion.
1: What I, to, what I had to do with the speaker thing was I had to just draw a line in the sand Got to and make say, more effort. I will, I will not yeah. for this... And actually, Expert Empires Global was the first event. I really went to town on it. Yeah. I went... I will not have less than 50% of these speakers be um, female. Yeah. So like, I, I, I want a minimum 50%. Yeah. Minimum. So when and, you're, but here's the thing, once I'd done it once, and by the way, there were people in the industry, like I was actually getting, I was getting a lot of people going, it's amazing to see, you know, we had Lisa Nichols and Marie Follio, the two headliners. Yeah. Um, you spoke of that as well. They were like, it's amazing to see a female based headline lineup, amazing. Yeah. There were other people literally saying to my team on the phone, "I'm not going to attend the event because it's all women." Wow, I, I, I couldn't. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do think that with the best will in the world, and we are in a privileged position that we get to influence this, yeah. and I don't take that responsibility lightly. I think, um, you know, there are still people in our industry and society that just aren't ready yeah. to embrace equality and diversity and inclusion yeah but what we can do is we can make a conscious effort to support it
0: yeah I suppose if I said to start with one in three or one in four of my episodes has to be not a white male that's a start Um, and then maybe that will make me look harder um, and maybe I would make more effort I did actually send a voice memo to my main booking guy and I said we need to get to start with, at least more, more women on the show. So certainly accept that there's things I can do. Um, but I also wanted to put that message out there. I want to understand why. Why is this the experience? Of course, probably, let's just be fucking honest, probably no going to woman is going to listen to this and go, oh, yeah, yeah, there's things that women can improve. It's just all Rob's experience and it's him. They're probably not going to take responsibility that way either. And I kind of want to call out this discussion to just, Figure it out, because I'd never say their names publicly, but I could make I could fucking list 20 or 30 of them, and they're brilliant, and I'd love to have them on the show. And I'd even I'd even fucking pay them money. It's crazy. What's great about this conversation is um, it's well, just by
1: having the conversation, we're creating more of a possibility that you're gonna attract more female guests yeah. speakers straight away. I'm like, well, give me a list of female speakers that you want on the podcast that I know and I'll just introduce you and they're far more likely to then, if they've done business with me they've spoken at my events, they're far more likely to want to be featured on your podcast or on your stage. So I think, um, yeah, just by the fact that we're having the conversation, it's got to be a good thing.
0: Yeah. Well, look, if anyone wants to get involved in this discussion, um, just jump on mine or Nick's Facebook um, or just jump on our socials. You can just Nick James, Rob Moore. Let's have the discussion. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll take feedback. But I won't take shit. <laughs> Just letting you know. By the way, that wasn't yeah. That whole section,
1: like, like I'm I'm thrilled that we went there and had the discussion. Me that's too. What, that's what this podcast's all about.
0: Me too. What do you think of Ed Milet
1: Oh, we're back on. We're, that <laughs> yeah. was a whole. We're yeah. back on the. What do you think of um, Ed Milet Honestly, is one of the most lovely men I've ever dealt with. I've never met him in person. Like he he was the headline speaker for March 2020 when we had to pull it at the last minute um, or, or move it online at the last minute. Um, And by the way, he was the most gracious man ever. Um, He refunded me his speaker fee before I even asked, like, what are we going to do about this? He just went, I've sent you the feedback. Um, And he went, all I ask is that you, I'll do it online, just pay X, was an insignificant amount, um, pay X to um, my charity and I'll do it. And I was like, that is classy. He's a classy guy. Really, really good guy.
0: I used to not like criticising people because I didn't want criticism back ultimately. And I also used to think, what's the purpose of criticism? We don't need to criticise. If you can't say anything, be kind. I used yeah. to think that for a long time. And then I realised, actually, I've learned the most from my critics. So now I'm a bit more bold and I don't mind criticising as long as I feel like I'm speaking fact and I'm not taking yeah. it personally to them. Yeah. I also want to shout out people when they do amazing things. And I had the same experience with Ed Milet. He just got the news that his dad was about to die, got terminal cancer, I think, and he didn't pull out of the show and he still did the podcast interview. And um, no one would have known that. Um, so I just wanted to also shout out Ed there.
1: Also, um, for me, the measure of anybody is how you feel about you in their presence. And when I interviewed him, bear in mind, this guy is like...
0: Fucking muscly as fuck.
1: Well, <laughs> muscly as fuck has, you know, built up, you know, net worth reportedly to be 400 500 million i believe right, yeah. something like that like i remember when i first interviewed him i was definitely in awe yeah. of him and like very quickly just made helped me to feel so like relaxed and confident in my ability to do a great job like he was like complimenting me like crazy i was like yeah. He's just a lovely guy and doesn't didn't need to do that no. but did it yeah. really 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 nice
0: it's funny how experiences with people can be so diverse. I said to David Goggins just as we were setting up to do the podcast, "Um, do you like doing these interviews? And he went, no. We just sat there in this fucking silence for like 10 seconds. And by the way, I really enjoyed that answer because it was honest. Honest, And I really liked sitting there in in his intense energy. Yeah. But it's just like my experience with Ed and David are totally different. Some people would perceive good and bad. I don't. I just perceive different energy. yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> with Goggins right um, I, I wanted to obviously before somebody comes and speaks at my event it's good for me to just be able to ask them a couple of questions how do you want to be introduced because I seeing the events myself and maybe brief them a little bit um, so the only way for me to get a meet with him was to go to the gym in the hotel like that is how intense he is he just got off a flight and he didn't like go and relax he went to the gym I was like I've got to go into the gym I'm wearing like my full like smart clothes, people looking at me as if I'm weird, in the gym, you know, the sparkly shoes, the whole thing. Um, and uh, and he was like, really abrupt, cold, like everything mm. you've just said. Um, I couldn't get anything out of him. On stage, he was great, but again, still very in- intense, very serious, but yeah, great guy.
0: But there's something about someone who has the courage to be themselves and give no fucks what you think about them. There's something about that I admire because yeah. it's hard for me because I'm a bit soft. I admire that about Donald Trump. I don't know, a lot of people hate him. Yeah. But I know someone who knows him very well and he just says it how it is.
1: Yeah, I think generally, like certainty in self. Like we mm. would all, I think it's fair to say that everybody, I think this is a universal truth, everyone would like to have complete certainty in mm. self like if everyone had certainty in self, they'd be happier. And so these people who we're talking about here, like David Goggins, he's, I've no doubt, he's a happy guy. Didn't show it very much. But internally, he's happy and at peace because he just does him. Mm. Mm. What do you think of Lord Alan Sugar? First of all, don't call him Lord Alan Sugar. Lord Sugar. That gives you an insight very clear on how he wants to be addressed. Um, Again, had a a brief conversation. It was brief with him before we spoke at one of our events. Um, And uh, look, again, certainty in self. Like what you see on TV is, you know, he's very abrupt to the point. You might say cold. That's exactly what he was like. When I met him, it's exactly what he was like on stage. On stage, I think he was deliberately being more abrupt and cold and, like, some of the questions the audience asked him, he didn't give very kind, warm answers. Um, he, you know, definitely gave somebody one of... Did he tell the,
0: anyone they were stupid for asking the question? Or yes, that the question was he went, stupid. well, that's a
1: stupid question. Um, uh, he actually said on one of my questions. I don't think he used the word stupid, but it wasn't very complimentary, let's put it that way. And i just paid him 100 grand <laughs> for like for like. Mate, pay me 100 minutes.
0: grand, I'll say, what the for fuck? For 60 yeah.
2: minutes.
1: <laughs> and he was like telling me my question was shit. Anyway, um, there was actually one of the other speakers who asked a question as an audience member and he like tore
0: into them. Um, but
1: look, you know, you're not expecting him to come and tell jokes, are you? Like, mm. what do you expect? So...
0: I enjoy when Alan Sugar, Lord Alan Sugar, Lord Sugar, I don't have to address him in that way because he's not here. No. I do like it when he does his tweets and he has pops at the governments and the ridiculous taxation and uh, he did a work from home one. And I, I, Sometimes he talks sense that other people don't have the balls to say, I would say. Well, you've got to say, look, I mean, you wouldn't have had the success
1: he's had in business over the length of time, like... Some people can have short-term success in business. He's like been going for however long, very successful. You don't do that unless you're smart. Um, By the way, the the thing I just remember, the thing that he like, I visibly saw it in him. Um, One of it was another speaker, like I said, who asked a question. He went, "Um, "Hello, everyone. Hello, Alan." And the and his face went to thunder, and I was like. I went, it doesn't matter what this question is, he's going to get destroyed. And I just thought, I'll just sit back and just watch this unfold. And he absolutely tore him to pieces. It was something like, you know, well, remember when when I started in business and before you were in nappies, he was like just hammering the guy. It was it was funny. Yeah. Not if you were the
0: guy, but mm.
1: it was funny for everyone else.
0: What do you think of Lisa Nichols?
1: Yeah, I spoke at the virtual event, so I haven't met her in person. Like, I'll tell you what I do think. She's a world class speaker, communicator. Like, it, I've seen a lot of speakers over many years on my stage. You know, I, I was at Tony Robbins seminars when I was 12 years of age. So I've seen world class speakers repeatedly over my career. On, on a virtual event, she had me. Like, I, I couldn't stop watching her. Very, very good. Mass, she's mastered the art of, of speaking. Um, so yeah, wonderful speaker. Don't know well personally, so I couldn't comment on anything else. What are you? Th- by the way, um, I do know somebody that hired her for speaking years ago, and their experience was she was a right diva. But my experience was great.
0: If divas deliver, I love hiring divas. Yeah, yeah. As long as they deliver. Well, you're a bit of a diva, Rob. <laughs> Definitely not when it comes to speaking for you, mate. Um, what well, do you I think of, say, I
1: think that the most value for money I've ever had from a speaker is when you came and did it for free. <laughs> Which I don't do anymore
0: no, no, I'll never don't. do again. No, you don't. But that's, you are a friend and let's just make that clear. Um, what do you think of Tom Bilyeu?
1: Um, I think what, what he built in the industry, he built it in, in, in the health and nutrition space, like magic. And, and he told some stories on stage of like, really, like, gritting it out, man. Like, manufacturing in the early days himself with his wife, like, on the fucking factory floor, bleeding. Like, really, um, I think it gave a great insight of, you know, he, he built Quest Nutrition to be a billion-dollar company. And, uh, and you know, he really built it from the ground up. And um, funnily enough, one of our friends um, was at that event and said to me, he's the best speaker I've ever seen. And I take that as a massive compliment. I'm like, again, you know, people that we work with, that we know in the industry, they've seen their fair share of world-class speakers. And for someone to say he's the best speaker they've ever seen, it's a pretty high endorsement.
0: Wow. What do you think of Rob Moore? What do I think of Rob Moore?
1: um, You know what, I'm really glad you asked that because I wasn't expecting you to. Um, I think that you're a bit misunderstood Sometimes I think you get a lot of stick. I think what for? Would what I get stick for? I think you get a stick for ranting and for for being honest, like you have been about uh, you know some of the speakers, um, particularly in your experience, female speakers that you've worked with or not worked with. Um, you know, I think because you basically just put it all on the line, you do get a bit uh, a lot of stick and, and you're a bit misunderstood. I also think you know what you're doing, and so you know you called your podcast disruptors and. You know that the more disruptive you can be, then the more um, attention, more following um, you're going to get, which I think is a smart a smart thing. Um, I, I also think um, you're a great speaker. I can honestly say, and you've spoken, I've lost count how many times at our Expert Empires events. I've paid, I, I'm very nervous about saying this, I've paid speakers six figures, and you've still been, in many cases, higher rated as a speaker than them which means you're probably going to quote me six figures next time uh, I want you to speak. Um, but I think you, you know, you deliver every time you do an expert empires event, you create a brand new talk, which I think is a credit. Um, and, you know, I think we've become good mates over, over the last few years in particular. And um, you've shared things privately with me um, and vice versa. And, and I think, you know, that, that side of you, maybe not everybody sees the vulnerable side and, um, yeah, i got a lot of love for the vulnerable side.
0: If you were advising me or my brand to do one thing differently or one thing you think is constructive or not good, what would it be? Just to give some balance. I know we're friends and so you've probably given a nice answer, but you've what would that, to that be? Those
1: fucking shirts, mate.
0: They are rascal. You mean the ones that you also wear that I bought you? Uh,
1: you bought me one and mine are a lot more subtle than yours. But yeah. um, no, no. I, so actually, but again, it's disruptive. Like even the way you dress is disruptive. And that, I think that's, you know, you're smart. It's calculated. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, I forget the exact word in the question. What would
0: I improve? Improve. A criticism yeah. or an improvement? So I, th- I
1: think there are, there's a long list of things that you do a lot better than me. And there's probably only one that I believe I do better than you. Um, and that is um, how I lead my team. I think that's something that you could do an even better job of culturally within your company. Um, I just think that's something that you could not, I'm not suggesting it's not good, but I believe the scope to make it great or even greater.
0: Thank you very much. You're welcome. Right. Quick fire round. So this would be what? 15-second answer. Okay.
1: Last time you you said 30-second answers, each answer was at least two minutes. Yeah. I'll do my best.
0: Okay. Would you take a million quid cash or a million followers on social media and why? Cash. Why?
1: Uh, Personally, I've never done an amazing job of turning followers into anything. I'm not brilliant at building followers nowhere near as good as you are. Um, I believe that the million cash I can multiply that faster knowing what I know about business and investing than I can the million followers and I actually don't really care about the followers hence why I haven't invested the time in building it
0: how do you sell anything to anyone
1: Uh, find out what they want more than anything in terms of an end result and then make what you offer deliver that end result
0: Who controls the world?
1: (laughs) That's a big question, isn't it? Uh, Who controls the world? (sighs) Unfortunately, governments control the world. And by the way, like, it is fucking embarrassing right now in the UK. And I don't know when this episode will go out. It might already be done by the time it goes out that the best we can offer up are the two candidates for the Conservative leadership. Like, that is... I go, there's got to be... There's got to be somebody better equipped to lead this country. Honestly, this is... I think you agree with this, but I don't think most people will. I don't think the Prime Minister gets paid enough. I wouldn't do it for the money they get paid. Like, let's face it, we probably earn more and we don't have to deal with half the amount of shit. 10% I, the amount of shit.
0: I earn more in a month than the Prime Minister earns. Yeah. I know what the Prime Minister earns. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think I
1: get paid enough. I'm like, I would want to see the Prime Minister being paid. By the way, if you want, look, it's the same as hiring your company. If you want top talent, you have to pay for top talent. You don't get top talent for low wages. I think we should be paying the Prime Minister like multiples of what they're currently get paid. Problem is, you do that and it alienates society and people don't want to vote for them. So it's a double-edged sword. But personally, I go, I think you'd get, like, think about, there's some great leaders in this country of companies, there's some great leaders and they're getting paid a lot more money for a lot less hassle and stick. So why on earth would they be prime minister? It just doesn't make any sense.
2: Hmm.
0: Do we have true freedom of speech? No. Why not?
1: I mean, you've been, you've experienced this more than I have. Like, you can't say certain things. What I love about the podcast platform is that, you know, it's a lot more free uh, for you to share views uh, and beliefs and stuff like that. You know, there's a lot of social media platforms now where you just can't say certain things. Otherwise, you're going to get, you know, your account's going to get shut down. And so I don't think we do have freedom of speech. I also think that it feels like we've got to a point where having an opinion about something is, like, not allowed. And I don't think we allow for differences of opinion. I can have a different opinion to you and we can still be mates. Like, politically, I can have a different opinion to somebody else and we should still be able to be friends. And I feel like we've lost that. I feel like we're at a point now where it's dangerous. I go, you've got family members that, like, not just fell out, like... Do not talk to each other at all since Brexit, because some were remain and some were leave. And I'm like, it's okay to disagree. It's okay for you to have a different opinion or a perspective to me. You know, you've had a different upbringing, you've had different references, experiences, you've been around different people. We're going to have different opinions. If everyone was the same, it'd be boring.
0: What's the biggest risk you've ever taken? <sighs> um.
1: It didn't feel like it at the time. It felt like a big risk, but I think the perception was it was a bigger risk than I felt it was. The first Expert Empires event, Gary V, it was with his fee as well as all the other expense, it was going to cost me about 200 grand. I had about 25, 30 grand in the business account at the time and signed the contract um, and went ahead with the event. And like, I suppose when you're making a 200 grand agreement when you only carry... Just over ten percent of that in terms of cash.
0: Yeah, Mark never would have let me do that.
1: Well, exactly. <laughs> and by the way, I think I over throughout my career, I could have and would have benefited massively from a Mark, but someone like Mark also would have held me back and prevented me from doing some of the amazing things I've done. So I think there's mm. there's, there's pros and cons yep. to that approach. Um, but yeah, that that was perceived to be a big risk. And you know, we're you know, we share a lot of uh, friends a lot of our friends told me that that was a bad idea and that I shouldn't do it and it wouldn't work. Mm. And why would somebody pay 200 to to £1,000 to come to an event when they can go to another one over here and mm. it's free? Um, but it felt like it was, it was partly a risk taken based on data. And I had, you know, like spreadsheets with expenditure and revenue sources, and I had a, a re- relatively high degree of certainty that that would pan out. Mm. I did my best and worst case scenarios, as you've seen me do before. Um, And the intuitively gut instinct, it felt like it was the right thing to do. And here we are, you know, five, six years down the line, we've done 10 or 11 of these events. And now there are plenty of people that are modelling that hybrid event framework, which for me justifies that it was a good move.
0: Mm. Sometimes for me, a measure of whether I should do it is if a lot of people tell me I shouldn't. Yeah. Well, that's because
1: you're disruptive. Yeah, that's what you're all
0: about. Biggest success in 15 seconds or less?
1: Biggest success. Um, Honestly, I think where I am now as a dad, husband, human is like night and day from where I was in 2015. Biggest failure? Uh, 2011, I've always been good at marketing and sales. Back then, negated to deliver for the customer and it cost me a lot of money. What felt like a lot of money back then, um, had to refund a load of dissatisfied customers and had to take out a personal loan to pay for it. That wasn't very much fun. So That was a failure on my part and good lesson.
0: Best advice you ever received?
1: How you make money is far more important than how much money you make. Gary Vaynerchuk, January 2017.
0: Worst advice you ever received?
1: Uh, um, Worst advice I've ever received? That has absolutely stumped me. It's probably because I'm more of an optimist. so I don't really focus on the worst advice. Um, I suppose there's probably been... I'll give you an example, Um, like Bitcoin circa 2017, like a few people were telling me about it and I was like, nah, sounds like a load of shit. But, and that was probably, it wasn't advice I was given, it was just my scepticism. So I think I have historically been quite a sceptical person around certain things that I don't understand. That's where I've started to, Educate myself more on things like NFTs where I, you know, I started hearing about this and I went, "Mm, don't make the mistake you made before around crypto um, and not getting in on that when it was a good time to do it. So, um, yeah, I think it wasn't advice necessarily, but it was more my attitude was a bit sceptical and I think I've since learned and become more
0: open. This show is called Disruptors, formerly Disruptive Entrepreneur. What does the word disruptive mean to you?
1: I think disruptive is I think you can be disruptive for the sake of being disruptive. I think the key is for me the the best version of disruptive I know that wasn't your question. The best version of disruptive is sharing beliefs and sharing your truth even if you know people are going to disagree with it. For me that's the essence of what you that's what you embody for me in terms of disruptive. I go you can be a you can be a, a dickhead and be disruptive, but I don't think that's what disruptors is about. I think it's about disrupting in a positive way. And so for me, um, what disruptive means is being true to your beliefs and standing up for what you believe in.
0: If people want to follow you, Nick, maybe they want to listen to your podcast, maybe you know, they want to go and check you out online, give us the best two places that they should get in touch with you.
1: Yeah, great. So best two places. First of all, our main website, expertempires.com. That tells you about the upcoming events and our masterminds, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the, the place where you can connect with me directly because I checked the messages myself is Instagram, um, which is at Nick James Events. And I know you said two, but the third one is the podcast is called Empire Builders. Right. Which was your suggestion, and it's a great name. So thank <laughs> you for
0: that. So absolutely double time you should go and download that podcast nick one more time um these templates these you know vision and operational documents as well as the training you've got to help people with systemization of their business where can they go for that
1: yeah so go to expertempires.com forward slash planning where you can get video training and templates to create your strategic plan vision for the future how to get there in the mid to long term and how to decide what tactics you should be deploying and shouldn't be deploying right now. expertempires.com forward
0: slash planning. Make sure everyone you go and check Nick out. This is Nick James, I'm Rob Moore. If you don't risk anything, you risk everything. And Nick, it's been a pleasure.
1: Pleasure, mate, thanks.